You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're recording here on a Victory Tuesday after the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, have a 38-10 to 10 win over the Dallas Cowboys on uh, national television. Uh, it's a nice change of pace. We'll get into all of this here, at least, as far as breaking down why the defense looked so good, the Cardinals' offense being able to make up for some big plays, and uh, Kyler Murray's legs, despite the lack of uh, seemingly some competent passing game, um, we'll be able to go over all of that at least uh, and talk a little bit about what we see the Cardinals being able to shape up for the rest of their season. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy. I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. If it's your first time listening, I'm joined as always by my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable, for your complete cards coverage. And John, we talked a bit about it beforehand where the Cardinals have been pretty much a letdown in the national spotlight ever since that 2015 season. Uh, they seem to basically kind of make a push in the right direction, blowing out the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. What are some of your initial thoughts about the game and what we saw the Cardinals accomplish yesterday? Well, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Blake. Good to be with everybody for our first, hopefully, two podcasts this week on a Victory Tuesday, as you put it, Blake. But yeah, it has been some time since they've won a nationally televised game. I can't remember one, certainly during the Kingsbury-Wilkes eras. You'd probably have to go back to the Arians era. They, they might have won one after the 2015 season at random, maybe on Sunday, Monday, or Thursday, but nothing comes to mind. What comes to mind is the embarrassing beatings they've taken, I, that, that Dolphins game, in 20, or excuse me, that, that uh, Broncos game on Thursday night in 2018. Uh, last year against San Francisco, admirably losing on Thursday night. They just haven't had a ton of opportunities. They don't have a Sunday night game this year. They still have a Thursday night game later on. But, you know, let's focus on what we saw, what we wis- witnessed on Monday night, and that was just a complete embarrassment of the Dallas Cowboys on behalf of the Arizona Cardinals. And, and I get it. Dallas is injury-riddled. They've got an underachieving head coach. That's putting it mildly. They've got a backup quarterback. But at the end of the day, what matters is the win-loss column, the scoreboard, the final scoreboard, and that saw our Arizona Cardinals come out victorious in a triumphant fashion, 38-10. to Like I think you and I both thought that this, this would be a high-scoring game from both teams, and I certainly expected the Cardinals to eclipse 30 points. I did not expect the Cardinal defense, even with Dalton at the helm, to play as effectively as they, as they did especially when you're missing Chandler Jones. And I think that's that's kind of where I want to start, Blake, just the effort by the defense and Vance Joseph, who, listen, I read this morning they've got statistically the best defense in the NFC in terms of points per game, right behind Baltimore in the NFL, um, and they've, they've clearly outseeded expectations. But they've played a slew of middling quarterbacks outside of maybe Matthew Stafford, and they lost that game. Um, but they played a lot of Flacco's, now Dalton. <laughs> they got Jimmy G. Wick one. He didn't look great. Dwayne Haskins. But let's put all that aside for a second and talk about the fact that this defense against the number one offense in the NFL, again, without Dak Prescott, but still, all their weapons were available. They were down a couple offensive linemen. 
surrendered 10 points in a nationally televised game. Um, regardless of what happens the rest of the year, they're going to be able to come back to this game and say, we put on a show on national TV and let the NFL know that we're a legitimate up-and-coming team. Um, and that starts with Vance Joseph, somebody who you and I, Blake, have labeled as a huge disappointment, somebody who we thought many times should have been let go as DC, somebody who has not done a great job, uh, a Kame in developing young talent. Well, this game, he bought himself a good amount of time, uh, certainly through the bye week into the second half of the season. Um, you look at what this defense was able to do through three quarters. They didn't give up a touchdown until way late in this game. What haven't they been able to do up until this point in the season? I think forced turnovers would be the biggest thing, and they came out and forced two early Ezekiel Elliott fumbles that really changed the complexity of this game. And if I could give the defense one of the biggest compliments of the season, it would be that the offense, even though they put up 38 points, they didn't, they have a, they didn't have a defensive touchdown. It was all the offense putting the points on the board. This defense has kept the Cardinals in multiple games early on while the Cardinals' offense tried and, and eventually found their footing. And this game was no different. It was 0-0 through the first quarter of this game, Blake. But because of those two turnovers, because of the momentum the Cardinals were able to have, the Cardinals went on a 21-3 run to end the first half. And that was because of the effort by the defense. The the defense, without Chandler Jones, looked like it had a, a greater sense of urgency than we've seen in recent weeks, Blake. I mean, they had specific series last week against the Jets that didn't look great. But you think about, okay, They've lost their leader on the edge, so maybe everybody thinks that, and this is cliche to say, everybody needs to crank up their intensity. Everybody needs to play better. Maybe Vince Joseph took it upon himself to say, I need to manufacture some pressure. I need to send my athletic defensive backs off the edge, my linebackers. And that's what he did. The Cardinals had three sacks in the game. They had seven tackles for loss. They hit Andy Dalton eight times. Jordan Hicks, you know, Byron Murphy, Buda Baker all played some of their best uh, football of the year. Jordan Phillips played inspired football after, you know, tragedy struck, losing his father in the past couple days, was able to play after attending his funeral, you know, forcing a fumble, recovering a fumble. I mean, defensively, to me, even though the Cardinals put up 38 points, was, was the story of this game. And it gives them a great chance here in the second half of the year to be a serious threat to make the postseason. If this is the kind of effort, and again, I get it, it's Andy Dalton, but they still had CeeDee Lamb, still had Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and Ezekiel Elliott. They held Dallas's vaunted rushing attack to 3.6 yards per carry in under 100 yards. Nobody in the Dallas receiving core went over 100 yards receiving. Their offense looked like one of the worst, not the best, but one of the worst in all of football. And Dalton... A lot of people would tell you, Blake, he's the best backup quarterback in football, could start for a handful of teams. And the Cardinals made him look like a you know borderline practice squad quarterback. So I know we're going to get into Kyler in the offense and, and what we saw from that side of the football, but I think it would be um, disrespectful to Vance to not highlight, even if it's only for a week, the effort from the defense. And I'll end my little opening rant here with, the play of a certain outside linebacker that I thought could have been cut, scrapped, traded before the season started, and that's Hassan Reddick. Hassan Reddick, and I said this on Twitter last night, I've said it a couple times, but I think it's really coming to fruition now. He's, he's pulling a Calvin Pace. For, for our young Cardinal fans out there, the Cardinals took an outside linebacker from Wake Forest named Calvin Pace in the first round. They had two first rounds. It was the first round 
of the draft, I believe, in 2003, and it was the Terrell Suggs draft, and the Cardinals passed on the hometown Terrell Suggs. They took Calvin Pace. They took Brian Johnson. Pace was a disappointment through the first four years. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option, and he was a backup coming into his fifth year, and they ended up having a player by the name of Chike O'Keefer as the starter. He goes down, and so Pace is thrust into the lineup in 2007 under Ken Wisenhunt and their and their defensive coordinator. I, I might have been Clancy Pendergast. I, I don't remember who it was. And he went on to have a not a Pro Bowl level season, but a very good season. And he parlayed that into free agency and went on to be a double digit sack artist with the New York Jets, and really extended his career. And I I think we could see. Blake now the same thing happening with Reddit so I two two individuals that I have just trashed in the past being Reddick and Vance Joseph credit where credit's due they've 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 done a great job here the first six weeks of the season yeah John um, going a little deeper on Reddick uh, this is essentially his first year that he's actually at the outside linebacker position he moved there slightly it seems at the end of the 20 uh 2017 season when Marcus Golden went down for injury uh, while you're playing a 3-4 it was a very different type of defense and that was also if you look at that 2017 year was his rookie season uh, I think part of it goes back ultimately to the draft profile on him was he was a guy who had nine and a half sacks in his uh, final year in college as well as 22 and a half tackles for loss you're talking about a guy who got you know 47 tackles for loss uh, in his college career playing as a defensive end now Originally, his first year, he played as a linebacker, and he was recruited as a safety. So when you're talking about some of that athleticism, I think a lot of what we've seen, uh, John, is how uh, the Cardinals, at least, and how they diagnosed Reddick was he's got the athleticism to play inside linebacker, having that identity of Carlos Dansby. Um, you moved him after the fact, once you kind of realize he just doesn't have the instincts and space. He is all right at coverage. It took a few years, I think, for him to be able to get to an acceptable level, but he's at his best when you kind of are just say, Hey, take the thinking out of it, be able to go after the passer. And I think that's been something that we've seen as well on the other side of the line too, with the likes of Dennis Gardeck, who was also the inside linebacker spot. He's the captain on special teams, uh, kind of your you know typical lunch, bring your lunch pail to work kind of guy, always there. Um, not the most athletically gifted in the world, but really does push the envelope as far as the amount of effort he gives, whether it's special teams or as we've even seen now for the last two weeks in a row. Um, he should have had two sacks and a safety in this game, which is crazy to think about how when we say that the Cardinals defense looks potentially better without Chandler Jones than it does with it. It seems crazy to think of, but for right now, it does seem like whatever Chandler was going through, whatever was kind of ailing him, uh, I don't think it was even schematic fit. You can look at what he did last year with Vance. It does seem at least that the Cardinals have been able to get a lot more of the effort and a lot more of kind of that juice and more of that opening spark that we've seen in the past two weeks against the Jets and against the Cowboys that was clearly missing from the uh, what we've seen in the Lions game, especially in that game against the Carolina Panthers. So I think when we're talking about with what Vance has been doing uh, to kind of change the topic a bit to talking about Vance Joseph, most of it, John, has been the question of what is it as far as for Vance with the talent that he's been given versus what he can do schematically. And what we'd always kind of had said coming into this year was, hey, like we said on the past podcast, Vance has been more consistent with the defense than Cliff Kingsbury and the offense on the other side. And a lot of that was because the likes of the Jordan Phillips uh, moving some guys around from where they were at last year once they got rid of Terrell Suggs. You got to see a 
instant improvement in their defense in the last uh, two to three games of the year. What we've seen now instead this time around is there's been an improvement in terms of coverage, and in this last one, the Cardinals' pass rush um, definitely was able to take a step forward as far as uh, not sacking the quarterback because they've gotten sacks, but in being able to apply pressure to the quarterback, and it's that pressure, John, that's why the Cardinals were able to get um, some of those turnovers like that interception late in the game and what would have been an interception uh, had Jordan Hicks managed to haul it in of Andy Dalton. Now, I, I do want to make this clear, though, as well. We can talk about what the Cardinals' defense has done with the Rave. We also need to mention the fact that they went up against a Dallas offensive line with a less mobile quarterback than Dak Prescott. They were missing four of their five starters on the offensive line. That's a good Cowboys line, so there's a big drop-off there. And then the Cowboys lost their fifth starting lineman, Pro Bowl guard Zach Martin, uh, partway through, I believe it was, the first or the second quarter. So then you're talking about an all-backup line uh, decimated by injury. Cowboys have had so many guys that have been sent to IR. At one point, the Cardinals acted like they were going to blitz and then dropped back. Um, I think it was Isaiah Simmons actually dropped back to the deep safety role. Only three guys were rushing the passer, and the Cardinals still got pressure on Andy Dalton. So you can say, hey, good for the Cardinals. You're rushing three, getting pressure. Also, just a terrible Dallas offensive line. And a quarterback who, John, I think we didn't take this into account. Dalton was 0-5 on Monday Night Football coming into this game. He just has never yeah. seemed to have been a primetime level quarterback. I think that's something where we looked at that and said, hey, with the weapons, with each of the areas, with Chandler Jones out, it was kind of an unknown. We knew the Cardinals were going to be able to put up points. And I think we do have to say now, uh, flipping the script to the offense, that when we talked about how bad this Dallas defense was there, they've given up an average of 36 points per game, which we talked about last week in our Dallas preview. They gave up 31 points per game. It's like, okay, well, their points per game, you know, they're going to improve a little bit from all of this. Cardinals offense has struggled. And then at the end of the game, you got that long Kenyon Drake touchdown where the Cardinals then get out 38. And you're like, okay, this, this Dallas team is on a historically bad pace as far as what they're doing. Um, there's news coming out now of Dallas that the players are starting to bash the coaching staff, including head coach Mike McCarthy, saying, hey, like they, they don't know what they're doing. They're not making adjustments. Uh, they are kind of, it seems like that this is a potential if things keep going downhill at least. That I don't want to say it's a one and done because you never know what's going to happen with the likes of Jerry Jones with how Jason Garrett was, but it, you really are going to start to see, I think, in a lot of ways, just how bad this NFC East division is, and I think some of that has to be taken into account before we start kind of you know proclaiming the Cardinals as a Super Bowl threat. What the Cardinals did, John, on with this, was what good teams do. I don't think that we've got the capacity to say that they are a great team yet, but by doing what good teams do, I think that should give fans a lot of optimism moving forward, even as they head into the toughest part of their schedule. Yeah, and I think we can just take solace in knowing, again, how many weeks have we said this? The offense is still very much a work in progress, but their margin for error is huge because of their ability to run the football with Kyler Murray. How many instances last night did we see specific drives that were looking like they were going to collapse onto itself, that they had nothing going. Kyler misses maybe two gimme throws on first and second down. He drops back to pass on third and long and is able just to make up the difference with his legs on third down and keep drives alive. I think that that is great news for this team moving forward. It's a little bit troublesome, probably more more troublesome than anything we've seen from the defense, that the offense still is kind of sleepwalking their way through the first quarter of games, if not longer. And against good teams, it's going to get you beat. 
against the Seahawks with Russell Wilson, seemingly a threat to score on every drive, against Sean McVay and the Rams, against Bill Belichick, against the Bills. That's going to make you, they're going to make you pay. So the Cardinals need to get it together offensively earlier in games. But against teams like Dallas, teams that you should beat handedly, I mean, listen, Dallas is what their record is. They've won two games against bad teams, and their defense is statistically the worst in the NFL. Their run defense is horrifically, historically bad, and the Cardinals just waited a quarter into the game to expose that, and it didn't matter. They still put up 38 points. It still was completely lopsided affair. And like we mentioned, you can thank the defense for a large part of that. But I just think that when you talk about like a team like the Chicago Bears that really feels like they're playing over their head right now when it comes to the personnel that they have, how they're winning games, it's, it seems like a lot of smoke and mirrors, doesn't it? Whereas with the Cardinals, the 4-2 and two result seems very real. I mean, you think about the games against the, the Niners and, and the Redskins, they should have put up probably more points than they did. They should have beaten Detroit outside of Kyler Murray's three interceptions. The Carolina game, they just kind of sleptwalk through. I mean, they have not played a complete game this year, and if they did, let's say they would have played a complete game last night, Blake. I mean, Kyler Murray misses Larry Fitzgerald on a touchdown pass late in the game. Early on in the game, they had multiple opportunities deep within Dallas's territory, or certainly at midfield where they could have had points. I mean, conceivably, we could have seen the Cardinals drop 50 points last night. I mean, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. That bodes well, assuming Kingsbury and the rest of the offense, specifically Kyler, can get settled down and get get things right earlier in games. I think what made them so successful at times last year offensively, when they were more efficient, I mean, they're, they're putting more points on the board this year just out of pure skill and ability with Kyler and Hopkins. But last year, you talk about the efficiency that they, they showed – from 20-yard line to 20-yard line, that's not there this year. The difference is they were a horrific red zone team a year ago, and now they're one of the best in converting points. I think they've converted points on every red zone possession to start this year, which is tied for best in the NFL. So I just think that, again, we can look at this from a holistic approach of the Cardinals are still incomplete, specifically offensively, but the good news is they have a 23-year-old quarterback in his second year in the NFL roughly 22 games into his career and he's not going to be Russell Wilson of 2020 right away and that's okay he's allowed to use his legs to make up for inefficiencies in his passing game still as long as the Cardinals aren't reliant on that and he we can still see a maturation process of of Kyler as a pocket passer they're going to be fine and oh by the way he's halfway through the amount of total or excuse me passing touchdowns that he had a year ago in 20 he's already up to 10 but it's because people bestowed just such unrealistic expectations for him this year that he needed to come out and be Mahomes. I mean, what are we doing if, if we're if if that's the projection we're taking? Blake, you and I have been consistent throughout the duration of this offseason into this season. I think my comp for him, not as a player, but statistically where he could be, was was Cam Newton. Cam Newton inherited the number one overall pick team in 2012 or excuse me, 2011, and it took him three years to get to the postseason, and he improved improved statistically every time. I thought coming into this year, Kyler was going to have a Pro Bowl-level season statistically. I didn't think he was going to break touchdown records like Mahomes or win the MVP like Lamar, but I thought he'd throw from 25 to 30 touchdowns. He's on pace right now to throw for 27. I did not expect 
the efficiency running the football to be what it is now, and that is he's on pace for 1,000 yards rushing or just below it and 16 rushing touchdowns, which, oh, by the way, would give him 43 total touchdowns for the year. And people want to complain about inefficiencies in the passing game. He is using what he has right now to win football games. That is something this franchise has not done enough of. And he will, knowing the player he is, the the commitment to being great that he has, will figure out the passing game over time. But I think realistically, coming into the season, best case scenario, I thought 10 wins. They're on pace right now. I think with the with the way the schedule shakes out, we'll talk about more of this as we get into our preview for the Seattle game later in the week, but 9 to 10 wins seems very doable right now. They are right where we thought we would be. they would be, but Kyler is just more explosive in the running game. He's completing 65% of his throws. He's got a passer rating over 90. He's going to throw for right at 4,000 yards. But I just think that he's saying to, to himself, for us to be as effective as we need to right now until I am better at settling down early in games and throwing the football effectively, I'm going to use my legs in a way I didn't use last year. He is doubling his production as a runner, and he is still improving, improving on his ability to throw the football. I mean, what more do people want? And you can see there's still disconnect with some of the younger receivers. Isabella, for all the goodwill he had built recently, may have just blown it last night and just looked completely lost. I think the continued maturation process of Christian Kirk, who, knock on wood, can stay healthy and be that second receiver and consistently give you 60 to 80 yards receiving every week. He had two touchdowns last night on two catches. And he had an 80-yard bomb for a touchdown that blew open the game. If you can get an occasional performance like that out of Kirk with what you're traditionally getting from Hopkins and then some of the complimentary receivers and fits, maybe Dan Arnold, maybe Isabella, maybe Keyshawn Johnson, this offense is going to be fine. Because right now, Blake, and we've been saying it for weeks, Kingsbury has finally realized, especially in the second half, we are a power-running football team. No one can stop Kyler in this offense when they're running downhill using the RPO. I mean, he made Dallas, in so many instances, look completely foolish and clowned. On the end zone, uh, on the one-yard line, whenever they needed to get yards running the football, they did. And kudos to Christian Kirk, who got the message from the national media, the coaching staff, that he was dancing too much at the hole. He was running too east and west. He just put his no, his foot down in the dirt and said, I'm going to run north and south, and I'm going to give what the defense is giving me. And look at that. Methodical over the first three quarters and then broke a 69-yarder in the fourth. That's the kind of production that we came to love and learn from Kirk, or excuse me, Drake, last year in the second half. It's how they beat the Seahawks. And by the way, if they want to make the postseason, if they want to beat Seattle next week and beat the Rams, teams that are susceptible to to the run defensively, they're going to have to win the game like that. Now, again, we we don't have a question of Kyler being able to drop back 30 to 40 times, throw the football for 300 yards, and, and throw three touchdowns. We've seen him do that. But the recipe for this year, in my opinion, until, like you mentioned, Blake, they get a capable number two receiver, or if somebody like Kirk emerges, until Kyler Murray is able to process and settle things down in the passing game earlier in games, And when you're playing with a defense that I think is somewhat fraudulent, that's not to take away what they've done, but they haven't faced a really a Pro Bowl level quarterback yet other than maybe Matthew Stafford, you need to be able to control the line of scrimmage, which they can. Their offensive line is playing their best football maybe in a decade, a decade and a half, and giving up 
nine sacks on the season. I think you play to your strength, you run the football, and that is your best route to get to nine to ten wins. And we saw the recipe last night. Dallas, for, for, for everything that we can say about them and their struggles this year, they've got a great explosive group of receivers that the Cardinals made null and void and non-existent because they ran the football, they controlled the line of scrimmage, and they put points on the board when they had to. So I, I just think that as long as Arizona is consistent with who they are and Kingsbury continues to evolve as a play caller, this is a playoff team. And, and we saw maybe the maturation of that last night, Blake. Me. Yeah, John, the, the Cardinals and who they have been, at least in the past, as a uh, team has mostly never had that sort of a rushing identity. And I think that is huge when you're talking about what we've seen with Murray and rushing the football, in part because when you have games where the pass, you're not able to win with the pass and you have to rely on the run, just like we saw in this game. It shows, I think, in a lot of different ways where the way the NFL teams are able to win is not necessarily by saying, hey, we need to be able to just pound the rock. We have saw the exact approach that they tried with that not work at all with the 2018 Cardinals, in part because it's less about just saying, hey, we need to be a run-first team running the football. It's more about being able to be an effective and efficient offense. What the Cardinals are doing now is they're averaging a higher yards per rush this year than they are last year, and a lot of that is ultimately due to Kyler Murray and his legs being utilized in a very different way. And I think, John, we talked a lot about last year with how the Cardinals, the biggest flaw that we, I think, had seen from the team was that they weren't using Kyler Murray's legs enough. It, I even think there was a podcast that I mentioned where I said, yeah, you've got a cheat code in the red zone. You're having all these red zone woes. And when they kind of woke up and started factoring that more into being able to run the football um, with the likes of Kenyon Drake and being able to use Murray's legs, we've seen him now be able to kind of go off. And he's putting together right now kind of a about somewhere around a little bit under 200 yards a game, probably about 200 30 yards a game or so, and about 70 or so yards on the ground so far this season and running the football. And uh, like you said, John, you talked about um, uh, kind of some of the comparisons to the likes of a Cam Newton. I think with Cam Newton, what's always made Cam special has been the fact that he's got that bullet arm, he's got this uh, big body, but it was also the athleticism where he would average at least uh, a certain number of rushing yards per game. You just know, hey, we're going to use him, that big body, barrel through guys to get into the end zone. Uh, He was essentially the definition of a franchise quarterback from a production standpoint. Now, he also is on some very, very bad Panthers teams throughout the years. There was a lot of questions about his weapons, a lot of question about the offensive line that he was given. I eventually did see the GM of the Panthers fired, but for multiple years, John, we've even mentioned it, they were a playoff team with him. The Cardinals played them in 2014. They lost to them in 2015 with that Super Bowl-worthy season, and we're seeing Cam kind of have a little bit of a second life with the Patriots, although it's some of the same issues at wide receiver, it seems like, for them with Julian Edelman dropping a few balls a game, but I want to go over a stat that I shared with you last night, kind of a, sent this when I did a little bit of research into it, but throughout his entire career, Cam Newton has been a guy who averages about 231 passing yards a game, about 39 rushing yards a game, and we get about 1.4, so a little under two passing touchdowns a game, and about 0.48, so about half a rushing touchdown a game, meaning you're getting at least every other game at least one rushing touchdown. So far in his NFL career, taking everything into account, Kyler Murray has 239 passing yards per game, 40 rushing yards per game, 
and is averaging 1.33 passing touchdowns to 0.42 rushing touchdowns. That, that's almost identical numbers in his career so far to Cam Newton. And what's interesting, John, is you and I can agree that we think that there's po- probability with Kyler being the passer that he is that those passing numbers could go up at least over time, but it still goes to show that his rushing ability, the ability to make guys miss, like you'll see him running around, not even get touched and scramper around out of bounds on third and 15 and pick up the first down like he did at least uh, one time last night wasn't touched. The other, I think he actually lowered the shoulder and was able to push forward for that first down. When you've got a weapon like that, you can truly play 11-on-11 football, and that forces defenses into uh, tight situations. And that's really important because last night, like you said, John, the Cardinals passing game, uh, you can kind of say that there was positives, but um, for the most part, it seemed like it was atrocious, especially through that first quarter. Uh, The first quarter, it went punt, Cardinals, punt, Cowboys, punt, Cardinals, punt, Cowboys. It took a defensive play from the team to kind of wake up the offense in a way and kind of get points on the board, which, as we've seen, this Cardinals team seems to start off slow, wait for a big play, and then make it. And a lot of that has been because of the lack of ability in the passing game so far. But once they did get that turnover... Uh, You get to see Kyler at least be able to drive down the field. They got a score, got a touchdown. And after that, it seemed like that the Cardinals just had the game in hand overall. What I do want to talk about, John, though, is there are some concerns that we still saw last night, particularly with the opening drive. There's the play to Andy Isabella, who seemed to maybe Kyler overthrew him a bit. Maybe he didn't track the ball as well. There was a shot at it. There was a second shot that was taken, whereas just total miscommunication. Kyler expected him to take an out route. Isabella kept running forward kind of up the field and slowed up. Either didn't think the ball was coming to him. And we, we've kind of seen at least with how Isabella is that there seems to be still this kind of knack in this learning progression that he's making, especially as he's been used as a deep passer. And that was kind of the concern that we talked about. Is, hey, do the Cardinals truly have a number two receiver after DeAndre Hopkins? And through the last two weeks, it looks like that answer is probably going to be Christian Kirk. Um, the thing is with Kirk is the Cardinals offense looks like it's completely different when he's on the field being able to make plays. And what's interesting is that uh, he got a 80-yard bomb from Kyler Murray, caught that in stride perfectly. They had planned that throughout the week uh, as far as they saw, hey, the safety is going to bite on a double move, should get you wide open. Let's call this play when we need it. The interesting thing about that is that with Kyler only completing nine passes, I mean, that puts him up as far as with the likes of, interestingly enough, like the Max Halls, the Ryan Lindleys, and Kevin Cobbs of the world, who also won games completing less than, uh, I believe it was like less than 10 passes or that low of a, (laughs) oh gosh, that low of it. But Christian Kirk only had two catches. He had one for the six-yard touchdown and one for an 80-yard touchdown. The Cardinals, I think, John, are still kind of lacking a bit of that true second threat. And you're looking at Kirk as, hey, he's our home run guy. We've got Isabella as a home run guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that even though DeAndre Hopkins you know, got his with a fantastic catch, I felt like they should have involved Hopkins a lot more in the game than they did. Um, they got a, him wide open at least on a, uh, a, 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 I believe it was a mesh concept, almost the same play they ran against the Niners in the beginning of the year. He baits the safety, thinks he's going to dart inside, circles him back around to the outside. It just felt like this is kind of a game where when there's issues that you're having in your passing attack, sometimes you need to force the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, even if it is a spot as far as, for you know, don't be dumb at least as far as the double coverage, but sometimes you do have to give him a shot, and I felt like the Cardinals just were not really giving him a shot, 
And when you've got a young quarterback like Kyler Murray, uh, for one thing, sure, you can argue, yeah, maybe they need to get another playmaker around him. Maybe that's something we can talk about with the trade deadline. But I feel like with the offense right now, we are seeing so much of a reliance on Kyler and their legs that when we do get to these tougher offenses and tougher defenses, John, I think that's going to be one of the things we'll still can kind of see as a detractor for this team of why. And I, I just don't think that they're a great team just yet and for the likes of that John the Cardinals have not played a team with a winning record yet they've played yeah. teams that have a three and three record so far but they've played the NFC East the Panthers played the Lions and then they've played this hapless Cowboys team and that regard it's good that they're at four and two being able to beat up on these bad teams but the true test is yet to come because schedule is going to get a lot harder after this John and I think that's something we need to see if the Cardinals are able to play up to that level of competition or if we're just talking about a team that's, you know, going to be probably an average team that takes advantage of some really bad teams this year. Sure, and they benefited from that because they were the worst team in the division last year and they got a fourth place schedule. And then you combine that with the fact that they get to play the, the worst division in recent memory, the NFC East, and the AFC East, which doesn't appear to have a great team right now. I think we've seen that maybe Buffalo's a little bit fraudulent in, in what we initially thought they would be coming into this season. Certainly New England, this is the worst New England team we've seen in recent memory. And then you've got a couple rebuilding franchises and the Jets and the Dolphins. The Dolphins, who, by the way, are going to start uh, Tua here after the bye. So I, I mean, this is just how football works, right? It's interchangeable in terms of who the, who the top teams are for the most part. And the Cardinals, they, they were gifted this schedule because of the fact that they were one of the worst teams in the league last year. They had a top 10 pick. And so, you know, nobody needs to apologize for the fact that they get to play these teams. You just you take advantage with what's on your schedule. I think we're we're at the point now with the Cardinals where we have realistic expectations at least you and I do, Blake, of what they can achieve this year. And you build on that each of the next couple of years. Last year was the rebuild, the fully rebuild, get Kyler Murray and, and Cliff Kingsbury, you know, accommodated and acclimated to the NFL. And then this year it's about can we build a a product that is competitive and then can they show that they can be a, a winning team in terms of their win-loss record. And right now they're 4-2 and they have momentum to finish with a re- winning record. Of course, we're all going to be disappointed, Blake, if they don't sneak into the postseason. But, I, I mean, the Vegas predicted this team to win seven games. That was the over-under, or seven and a half. And by all accounts, barring an epic collapse and an injury to Kyler, they're going to get to that point and exceed Vegas's expectations for them. That's a win. Cliff Kingsbury never won, I believe, more than seven games at the collegiate level. I mean, it just... We just have to take baby steps with this team and then look back after the year's over and say, okay, this was a very positive, positive season. It doesn't matter who they beat. As long as at the end of the year, it determines what their win-loss record is. But let's let's stick to your previous point when it comes to the receivers, Blake. And you've been hitting the nail on the head that this team just really doesn't have a capable number two receiver consistent, uh, I should say. And that's why you were a big proponent in, in drafting a player like the, for the likes of CeeDee Lamb. And I think that, again, we need to let the season shake out. I think a more commitment to the run game needs to be had, even with Hopkins. But you're going to be able to look back on the season and know whether or not you need another receiver, another big-time, you know, first-round, big free agent signing, number two receiver to go with Hopkins. If Kirk can continue on this trajectory, and I just want to throw a couple stats at you with with regard to Kirk, who did miss a game, started this season really slow, um, didn't have a catch, I think, in the first game against San Francisco, was basically a non-factor, and then I believe didn't play against Washington. 
So I, I, he's played in five games, but really it's only been four. He's got only 13 receptions on 24 targets. That's not great, but he does have 240 yards, and he's averaging nearly 19 yards per reception. I mean, he's turned into a big play receiver, chunk plays. He's put together really solid back-to-back performances against the Jets and the Cowboys. He's got three touchdowns, which already ties a career high that he's had each of the past two seasons. If Christian Kirk, who last year had 709 yards, the year before that 590, he's only 23 years old. He turns 24 in November. If Christian Kirk can eclipse 800 yards receiving in what it will equate to about 15 to 14 games, if he can stay healthy, that bodes well for his trajectory into next season. Now, that doesn't mean they couldn't go out and look for another wide receiver, uh, certainly another X to go outside, and you put Kirk at the position where he's going to have the most success, that be the slot. But I've been consistent with my take that I thought Kirk could sleepwalk his way to 1,000 yards in this offense. I still think maybe he's got an outside shot at that. But efforts like we saw last night in helping Kyler with that deep ball that was a little bit overthrown, making that catch that he probably wouldn't made last year or the year before, that bodes well for this team. And you could do a lot worse with within Christian Kirk as your third receiver, but I still think he's got a 50-50 shot to become the number two that we all thought. I think that his best comp was Golden Tate. Golden Tate coming into his career, granted it was a different time when he was with Seattle and then Detroit. Very slow as a receiver to start his NFL career. Primarily, this sounds familiar, return kicks, return punts. Had you know a couple middling seasons, then eventually exploded with Detroit, became a consistent 1,000-yard receiver. Very nice player. I think Kirk can still do that. Again, 24 years old in November. 24 years old. Has an opportunity to enter his prime. And who knows, Cardinals may be able to secure him on a nice second contract where they're not paying him an exorbitant amount of money, but I just think that for the kind of offense they want to run, especially when you think about the inconsistencies with Kyler, I think, let's face it, Larry right now is a blocking receiver that's serving more as kind of the de facto tight end in certain instances. Dan Arnold hadn't really been utilized all that much. Um, Isabel is too inconsistent. I mean, they need Kirk right now for this passing game to be functional. And I'm really excited about what I've seen from him in back-to-back weeks. Really, it's just about health. If he can stay healthy throughout the rest of the season, I'm, I'm confident in saying that he's going to continue to contribute. He's got an outside chance, Blake, to lead the team in touchdown catches just because of the fact that Hopkins demands so much coverage and attention from an opposing defense. Kirk is really going to be the one that's, that's the benefactor of that. As, as far as Isabella goes, Blake, you know, I'm at the point now where, you know, we just need to see how this season shakes out. And the difference between really he and, and Kirk is Kirk has the ability and we've never questioned that. And when he's been on the field each of the past two seasons, he, we've seen those flash explosion plays or the, the, the front office, the, the coaching staff has been consistent in their takes it like we believe in Christian Kirk that he can contribute consistently. Andy Isabella needs to put together a consistent stretch of play like Kirk has done for me to take him seriously. And it's disappointing because, you know, we'll highlight it on this week's matchup with DK Metcalf, the Cardinals opting to take Isabella over Metcalf. And really it's Steve Kimes, you would think only miss in the second round that he's made dating back to, to 2014 with Troy Nicholas. I mean, he went on a tear from Marcus Golden to ha- to Chandler Jones. You know, I consider Christian Kirk a good player. Byron Murphy, um, Buda Baker, uh, now Hopkins, I mean, Isabella has a chance to be the outlier of that group, like when you think about it. So not to knock on him too much, but I'm excited from what I've seen from Kirk. I think that 
as they continue to refine his ability as a deep threat that this team greatly needs. And also, like this is his this is his second year in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Let's let's give him a couple more games here. Let's see if he can all all he really needs to do, Blake is six on average 60 yards a week can you make a couple catches for 60 yards a week can you show toughness after the catch and can you be that deep threat that Isabella hasn't shown he can be not from an ability standpoint from a but from a consistency standpoint I'm excited from what I've, I've seen from this young man because I know how much he wants to be great I know how close he is with Kyler Murray and I just I can't I can't put aside the fact that he's only 23 years old and this is already his third year in the NFL let's I said the same thing with Kyler Murray earlier. Let's give some of these younger players a chance to mature, and and good things might happen. I have been the biggest critic of two players that are having breakout seasons of this team because, you know, inconsistencies on their part, but lack of patience on mine, that being DJ Humphreys, which is their third-rated player via pro football focus through six weeks. DJ Humphreys is on a Pro Bowl route this year at left tackle, and then the aforementioned Hassan Reddick at outside linebacker. So, Let's continue to see where these young players go, and it, it we, we may be surprised by the end of the year by some of the statistics they put up. Just kind of wrapping up with the offense, John. Right now, Kirk is on pace for about 40 yards a game, about 640 yards on the year, which would be, you know, decent wide receiver two numbers. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins, who's been on pace for, you know, to get past that 1,000-yard mark, at least for that one, probably by, like, week 10, it seems like, will be uh, – is taking and hogging a lot of that target share. So what we really need to see, at least, though, I think, John, is where the Cardinals, as far as this being a offense we thought was going to be more of this air raid explosion, this kind of passing offense. Instead, what we've really been seeing more of is kind of this is a team that really belongs to be a ground-and-pound type of team using Kyler's legs, being able to be efficient in the run game, being able to utilize Chase Edmonds in the passing game. What's really been kind of the missing key has been the play of Kenyon Drake, who we talked about through the first few games of the year, and even we noticed it directly in the Jets game, there was so much of this east-to-west type of running. It was like he was trying to break outside, trying to hit a home run on each play. Um, wasn't seeming to hit the hole as much, uh, maybe not trusting the blocks as much. For whatever reason, there just seemed like that there were some issues that we were seeing with Drake. One of them that I think that we are now kind of identifying is um, when you look at the likes of how Mason Cole was not available for the first few games of the year after he went out, Lamont Galliard filled in very well overall. But I think the other thing was that J.R. Sweezy is on IR. He'll be out for at least three games. Uh, Justin Murray played very well last night in terms of being able to just blow guys off of the ball. Now, again, it's the Cowboys' defensive line has gotten a lot of their interior tackles have just not been great. We talked about how Tristan Hill went out for the year. They lost Gerald McCoy in the preseason. Uh, But I think that you do at least see some of the knack that he has to that point. And I think that putting that together with Humphreys being able to play a few good games has kind of allowed the fact of Kenyon Drake to – once he kind of got it through his head, hey, I need to, you know, keep running this north-south, not having to go east and west. He finally did have that breakout game. He finally was able to break off a big, long touchdown, one that we hadn't seen since the 20, uh, 2019 season even. Um, and I think that that's kind of this next step that the Cardinals offense needs to have as far as being a run-first team. And <clears throat> some of it is recognizing, too, John, like, you're going to see Kenyon Drake get a big run-up against bad run defenses because that's why bad run defenses are bad. We saw last year the Browns with Steve Wilkes as the D.C. gave up four touchdowns. We saw a big, long touchdown against the Seahawks. I think it's kind of something where people were expecting Kenyon Drake to have these kind of games every single week. I think have been very disappointed so far in terms of especially fantasy football. 
this week I think we kind of get to see that the likes of Drake, if he's able to kind of figure it out and be able to just kind of take what the defense gives, say, hey, if it's a good matchup against a bad run defense, you know, that's probably going to be his uh, more of his bread and butter overall. Um, and the, you'd love to see that so that you could take some of those carries off of Kyler Murray, be able to get that where then you're able to make him even more efficient when you do call for some of these design runs. Or if he takes a look at the field and goes, hey, everyone's covered downfield. You know, guys are being pushed back up behind me. Man coverage, no one's got their eyes on me. Takes off and is able to scramble and pick up yards with his legs. Uh, I think that's the next step. And what's encouraging, John, is that the offense is going to be getting Max Williams back after the bye. That's going to be um, an improvement in your pass blocking game. Not to say that Daryl Daniels hasn't done a fine job overall. Uh, but I think that's going to be something that will then have another shift toward maybe much more of that uh, ground and pound type of attack. And to the other side of the ball, you're also talking about uh, getting Jalen Thompson back and healthy. Uh, Deontay Thompson's done a great job filling in so far, but Jalen, as far as his ball skills and even just the overall tackling, uh, is still an overall better player. Uh, he was a guy who I think we were really excited about this coming into this season, and he's only played essentially one snap on the field. So, uh, But let's go ahead and kind of shift and talk about two Cardinals players who played exceptionally as well last night on the defensive side. Um, one of them is probably the newest player on the team. The other has basically been your highest paid safety in the league. That's Isaiah Simmons and Buda Baker. Now, we've talked about how what we wanted to see out of Vance Joseph for uh, probably even since 2019 was, does he have the ability to scheme pressure versus, we would just see so often, he'd be that same guy who'd rush four guys at the passer Maybe he'd rush a fifth guy a lot of, sometimes, or he would turn into this all-out blitz of seven guys or so on the line, telegraphing the blitz, and quarterbacks would just hit the tight end or hit the guy for a quick slant, pick up the first down, and you saw teams just getting those chunk plays. What's changed a lot as far as with the scheme by being able to bring pressure from multiple different areas where you're not just relying solely on Buda Baker. You're able to see other guys drop back in. You, you got to see that with Buda, who got uh, his first career interception on Sunday. He had an incredible game with a forced fumble, a, uh, he had an interception, he had seven tackles on the day as well too. He, he very much looked, John, like kind of what we expected out of Adrian Wilson out there, and his always knock has been either coverage or, hey, he's got no interceptions in any regular season games. If that's going to be something that starts to change a bit now, I think that we probably are going to be able to start praising a lot more of the likes of of the Cardinals for keeping him, signing him to that sort of a deal where it looks like he still has some of his best football in front of him. Uh, talk a bit about what we're seeing from uh, Baker, who's right now clearly the Cardinals MVP on defense. And like you said, he I think you tweeted this out. If he's not the defensive player of the week after the performance he put up, like, you know, cancel the award. I, I would say Get rid of it. just cancel the week is what I would say. He did so well overall. It was kind of like we thought, hey, is this Kyler's rise to superstardom? I think instead it was maybe more of Buda Baker's rise to being considered an NFL superstar by many people who finally have gotten to see him in that national spotlight. Yep, only, again, 24 years old, and clearly their best player defensively, and we heard it from Larry Fitzgerald even after Chandler Jones went down that Budabaker is the glue for this defense. We saw it against Carolina when he didn't play and how lackadaisical this that unit looked in the secondary. He came back with a vengeance last week against the Jets and now this week against the Dallas Cowboys on a national stage, putting together one of the best defensive performances in, in recent memory. You talk about the the force fumble the interception the sack you know seven solo tackles a pass defense i mean he was 
clearly the best. He might have been the best player in the game, point blank, period. Um, and so for him to be able to have that performance on a national stage, I think means a lot for his uh, notability in the in the media. I think one of the reasons Adrian Wilson remains so undervalued from a, a Hall of Fame perspective, a national perspective, is just the Cardinals didn't play on a ton of national games. And he was so impactful in, in so many ways for that, that great Cardinal team that made a couple postseason runs with Kurt Warner. But even before that, he was grossly underrated. Buddha, to me, to get to that level of Adrian Wilson, I was asked by my dad earlier today, is it, is it a comparable comp? And I would say that, you know, where was Adrian Wilson great? He was physical like Buddha, but you know, he's part of what? Is he part of the 2020 club or the 30-30 club? 30 career sacks, 30 career picks. Remember, that was always his goal. Um, I think it may be the 2020 club. Is Adrian could, could force an interception or two, and that, up until recently, last night, was not part of Buda Baker's game. He just hadn't had a career interception. I think it was his first interception dating back to maybe his early years at, at Washington. I mean, he had one in the Pro Bowl last year. And of course, coincidentally, Blake, with a broken hand, he makes a diving interception. Um, and hopefully that's that's one of many. And that's really been, to me, Blake, the only thing missing from his game. And, you know, kudos for the Cardinals for, for identifying that he is still should be paid as the best safety in football. Many think that he is now. He's solidifying himself over the, the likes of Jamal Adams and Mika Fitzpatrick. But it's it, a great safety has to be the kind of player that can come in and force turnovers. That's exactly what this Cardinal defense is desperate for. It's what they're lacking. And you saw it last night, the, the way he was flying around the football. He probably should have had at least one other interception. And I, I just think that it will take his game to the next level, Blake. He will, he will cement himself not only as the, the best safety in football, but one of the best overall players in football, a top 20 player in football, if he's able to corral you know, three to four picks this year. And then I also love the, the, the acquisition of being able to have him rush the passer, something that they have traditionally not done with him. And you think about, again, Vance compensating for no Chandler Jones. Well, let's send... Our best tackler on defense, which Baker is. Baker is their most efficient, best tackler on defense after the quarterback to secure a tackle. He's got two sacks this year, tying a career high that he had in 2018. I would fully expect him to finish the year with five or six sacks. I would continue to put heat on opposing quarterbacks with the Cardinals' most efficient, sure tackler, and 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 Baker has that ability. Um, I, I just can't say enough good things about him and, and give the Cardinals credit. I remember that that second round that that we talk about famously, Blake, when they when they passed on uh, Mahomes and Watson in the first round, and I, I say pass, but you know, Kime not being aggressive and trading up and then taking Reddick at thirteen. I think many people, including myself, thought that they were trading up in the second round of 2017 for Deshaun Kaiser. Kaiser, the quarterback who since flamed out, was a Notre Dame product. The Cardinals had multiple workouts, had a private workout, I think two weeks before the draft, when they took Buda Baker with Deshaun Kaiser. And I was standing in front of my TV with my dad, and we were thinking, oh, this this harks back to when they took you know Neil Lomax and Jake Plummer in the second round. This will be the next great Cardinal quarterback of second-round picks, right? And they took Buddha, and we're like, hey, we like the pick. He's a good player, but like, we need a QB. And I think now we can safely say, four years later, it was more than the right decision. Thank God they didn't take Deshaun Kaiser. Um, and Buddha has a chance just to be the staple defensively for this team for the next half decade or so. Um, quickly on the uh, previously mentioned Isaiah Simmons. 
Got some statistics via Pro Football Focus. This was like Christmas morning pulling up these this morning just because it was the most tangible data that we had on Mr. Simmons since the season started in terms of total metrics. So Isaiah Simmons in 21 snaps, small sample size, but doubled his almost doubled his previous high in snaps for, for a season, for an individual game, I should say, on the season. 21 snaps. 15 of those were in coverage. Okay, which I think plays to his strong suit. He had the second highest grade on the team defensively at 86.3, behind Buddha's 92.6 via pro football focus. Third highest on the team overall. Again, limited work against some backups, but here's a breakdown of his work. 79 grade against the run, 77 in tackling. Pass rush, not great at 58.9, but in coverage he was a solid 75. What does this tell you? That he is already one of their best coverage players on the team. I saw a clip of him bulldozing the Dallas center late in the game to get to to get to Dalton. The more he plays, the better he gets. If he if there had been a preseason, he would have played a lot of these meaningful late preseason or mid preseason snaps that he otherwise hasn't gotten. And he finished higher than both Jordan Hicks and Devondre Campbell as an inside linebacker. He also played a little bit of safety. Hopefully, Blake, this means that we're going to see a continued increase in snaps for the young man. But you talk about a turning point. He w- he wasn't just in in the fourth quarter. Now he got you mentioned it earlier. Got some meaningful snaps earlier in the game when the defense was playing well. Especially, I think there was a critical third down that he blanketed a receiver that led to a sack. He is contributing now. We need to build off of this. We don't want to go backwards. But I am cautiously optimistic that number one, Isaiah Simmons can definitely play at this level and that Vance Joseph is increasing his responsibility and his role because you talk about Buda Baker being a lightning rod for turnovers defensively. That is what Isaiah Simmons can give you. We talk about it every week. I love Jordan Hicks. I think he's a good, solid player. That pick six that he dropped, if, if that's against the likes of the Rams, the Seahawks, good teams, they're going to make you pay after the fact. Dallas just isn't good enough to do that. Those are the kind of plays that you're going to see Isaiah Simmons make when he's put in a position to do so. And I'm hoping that's sooner rather than later, Blake. John, the the thing with Simmons, and I will be interested to see because we talked about how the Cardinals misdiagnosed the proper position for Hassan Reddick. Uh, They finally are playing Dennis Gardak as an edge rusher, and he's been playing very well. We'll just see as far as I know the Cardinals were upset they weren't able to lock up um, they're a guy for a, a long-term deal with, um, uh, with, uh, Andre Campbell, I should say. So Isaiah Simmons is probably expected to be the starter there. I still think there's going to be questions about if he's best kind of at the safety role or if he's going to play this kind of safety linebacker hybrid will be interesting. Um, I, I do think at least as we, we've said, John, the questions was, can you Vance work him into the defense and make use of the skill set? And we saw a great play yesterday, I think that summed up, Hey, he, was allowed to blitz from the inside linebacker position. He backed off and kind of pulled back as a free safety. I think that's more of that that's going forward. We Neither of us have been really too concerned about it. It's been more of the, hey, we're, like, we're having issues and injuries and he's not seeing the field. Hopefully the Cardinals can get a lot more of that work so they can get Devondre Campbell some rest and be able to get um, Simmons at least a few more reps there as well because if there's an injury that happens at the line inside linebacker spot, that, that's going to be your go-to guy, and he's going to have to learn very quickly, and hopefully the cards can stay healthy. Uh, as we kind of wrap up and close today, John, just to look at their upcoming schedule, it feels like we talked about how the Cardinals are in a prime place, but I don't think we've kind of talked enough about how since they got off to a fast start this year in the 
first six games. If you want to finish with a 9-7 and seven record, you've got 10 games left. You only need five wins to get to that. If you can kind of scrape out a sixth win somewhere around there, give you a 10-win season, uh, Cliff would then be doubling the Cardinals' win total from last year. There's a shot that you can get for that. We'll see if the Cardinals can get there as it gets tougher. But how do you think this team will fare moving forward since they've got the likes of the Bills, the Patriots, and now you've also got the Seahawks and Rams twice on the schedule? And I still don't think San Fran is a slouch either. What are your thoughts as we wrap up today about the upcoming coming slate in the Cardinals is this going to be kind of a disappointment we see over the second half stretch when they play these tougher teams or are they going to rise to the occasion I think they have to get to nine wins uh to make the postseason I think a lot of these other divisions are going to eat each other the likes of the north the south I think the Cardinals are already reaping the benefits of the Niners and the Rams playing each other the Cardinals just have to take care of business five more times this year if they can get to five more wins which would put them at nine for the year they're going to make the playoffs. Fairly confident 9-7 and seven is going to get you win this, this season, especially with how bad the East is. I think that we're going to see a downtick in production from both the NFC North and the NFC South. Um, the West, I, I do think, will have multiple playoff teams, maybe even three. But I, I just think that the Cardinals getting to nine wins is going to put them in. Looking at their schedule now, every let's let's make this abundantly clear. Every game is winnable. They will not be a dramatic underdog in any game. There is no New Orleans going to the Superdome game like last year. There's no perennial power on their schedule. The Cardinals have shown they can play and beat Seattle when they're up to the task. We're going to preview the game later this week, but the Cardinals haven't beaten the Seahawks at home since 2012, um, and so the, the, the due factor is there. They get a couple rebuilding franchises in the Giants and the Dolphins. Um, who knows what they'll get from the Patriots late game in November, what that Patriots team's even going to look like. Um, they owe the Rams. I mean, if they, you want to make the postseason, you got to be able to beat Sean McVay one time. Um, and then San Francisco, will they even be able to field a team in week 16? That's a huge question mark on uh, the 27th of, of December. Again, I, I, they're going to lose a game they're not supposed to, and they're going to win a game that they're that they're not supposed to win. I, I, I'm I, I'm confident in saying that because it happens every year with this team. But I do see five wins left on their schedule. If it'll be disappointing if they don't get to that point, but I do think that 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 is the sweet spot. I'm not going to say eight and eight because I think that there are some competitive teams in the NFC that are going to get to that point, like Chicago and maybe Carolina. But uh, looking at their schedule now, number one, if the offense plays up to their capabilities, there's no defense on this schedule. The Rams, the Niners, the Eagles, the Giants, the Pats, the Seahawks, the Bills, the Dolphins, nobody defensively can stop Kyler Murray in this offense when they want to be special. There's no Pittsburgh. There's no Baltimore. Uh, you could argue that the best defense they faced all year was week one against San Francisco before all their injuries happened, and they still moved the ball effectively. Washington had, had a great defensive game plan coming into week two. Cardinals put 30 points on them. So I, I say... I will predict they will go 5-5 five and five down the stretch. They'll get to nine wins, and they'll be the last wild card team in the NFC, which, by the way, Blake, was my prediction coming into this year. So I'll stick with it. Yeah, absolutely, John. Uh, we'll be back later in this week, uh, be able to preview the upcoming Seattle Seahawks game, and then there will be an upcoming bye week. We'll do a uh, 
hopefully we'll have another check-in at least as far as with one of our other Cardinals friends in a Walter Mitchell is kind of the plan for right now. We'll see if that all lines up at least over the bye week. It'll be kind of our break as well with just having one episode, kind of a state of the cards moment. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about it. It's a huge game. Cardinals have a chance to go uh, up five and two, be able to kind of contend with Seattle, take another step forward in the division. Uh, this is going to be a uh, home game that they have with Seattle coming off of their bye week. A Definitely a crucial and difficult matchup for the Cards, to say the least, facing Russell Wilson and that vaunted offense. Uh, he's playing at an MVP caliber level, but he hasn't played a defense yet like Arizona. And Arizona on the other side is going to have a chance against what's been a terrible Seattle defense. I'm hoping that it will be at least a entertaining game. We'll get into more of those details later in the week. I want to thank everyone again for joining us. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, John, why don't you say at least for where the Cardinals fans can find you and your content, then I can sign off for us all today. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on Twitter at Johnny Venerable, J-O-H-N-N-Y-V-E-N-E-R-A-B-L-E. That's on Twitter. Of course, find me in the written form on revengeofthebirds.com. And then, of course, every week, multiple times a week here on their ROTV podcast. And then I do a post-game Periscope show for every Cardinal game uh, during the season and moving forward. Blake, where can they find your content uh, with the Cardinals. Yeah, it's at Blake Murphy 7 I just dropped uh, some of the winners and losers, I think, from today's game, or I should say yesterday's game today. And you'll be able to find that at revengeofthebirds.com and on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. The Cards are 4-2 and two off to their best start since the 2015 season. We'll be back later in the week uh, to be able to see their old foe, the Seattle Seahawks. Can the Cardinals win a game at home against Seattle for the first time since 2012? We'll break that down. Thanks for joining us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. <laughs>